Awesome, and off we go. Glad to hear everybody here. This is great. It's always it's always fun starting these things because you're like 80, 90 people, 100, 150. It was great. Thanks. In a row. <laughs> Got a double dose of Matt Powers. That's always right. a nice thing. Awesome. Well, glad to hear everybody coming in. Welcome back to uh, Sustainable Design Masterclass. Uh, we're going to get started any second. Just let us know. Uh, tell us in the chat box below where you're coming in from. I'm coming in from uh, Berkeley, California right now. Uh, Neil, you in Utah? Still in Utah. All right. Elaine's at her, her, her homeland in Corvallis. And Matt, you're in what crazy town? You're in Washington. Issaquah. Issaquah. Nice. Issaquah. I like that name. So it sounds like we have peeps, people coming from Georgia, Sweden, Pennsylvania, Cyprus, UK, Tennessee, Croatia, Colorado, really rural Colorado from Daniel, Medford, Oregon, uh, New Jersey. Oh, man, this is literally it's like you'd probably like smatter the globe with everybody and, and we get someone here. Poland, Alabama, Tennessee. This is great. So cool. Well, I hope you learn. Who, who's coming for the first time? Who, who hasn't been to one of our webinars before? Yes. Uh, tuning in for the first time. So Jillian saying it's her first time. Jay saying me, Jay Valencia. Cool. Said Hassan, first timer. Yvonne, first timer. Sarah, first timer. Great. This is awesome. A lot of first time folks here. Laura yeah. never misses Matt Powers. <laughs> That's right. And uh, for folks who are the first time, this is going to be great. This is going to be a really good all overview of, of so many examples of restoring biology at a whole bunch of different scales. And if you're interested in more, we'll have, we have a bunch of uh, other webinars we'll send you afterwards, just in case if you want to learn more. Uh, but this is going to be a great presentation. I'll let Neil introduce the Sustainable Design Masterclass. Uh, Matt, your, Matt, our good friend Matt Powers is going to introduce Elaine. And then Lane's going to get started and she's going to blow our minds. Now, uh, real quick, though, make sure to turn off your distractions, turn off your cell phones, throw your Instagram, your Snapchat, just snap your phone in half, snap it like a twig because you want to be present. You want to absorb this, this juicy flow of information. So make sure to do that. Matt probably can't throw his phone away. He's got an iPhone X, too valuable. Um, but yeah, be present and yeah, excited to get started here. Uh, Oh, yeah, we're going to go for uh, about an hour and a half with Elaine. Then we have Brian Vegg here. He's a homesteader who used Elaine's methods uh, on his five acres. He started his journey as a life and soil consultant. He's got a mind-blowing example he's going to talk about along with uh, telling us about an opportunity to learn from Elaine with her classes. And then we're going to do a Q&A for as long as it takes afterwards. So it should be an exciting opportunity to learn. So, Neil, why don't you take it from, take it from there? Thanks, Raleigh. Welcome everyone to Sustainable Design Masterclass. Uh, Raleigh and I are the co-founders of this webinar series. We've been going for about two and a half years. This is our fifth webinar with Elaine. We tend to do these almost every three or four months, it seems like, but it's it's new stuff every time. The, the background information tends to be just solid soil science, but then we get into really great case studies and examples of people who have put this, stuff in, put this stuff into practice. And so we're excited to have all of you on, especially for those of you who are coming to us for the first time. 
because uh, this is what we do. We talk about regenerative agriculture and ecology and soil science and all this stuff. Uh, and we try to find the best people in the world who are practicing this and using this as their profession, uh, whether they be designers or farmers or scientists or policymakers. And uh, we've got some really good stuff. We're excited to have you here. Also excited to have Matt Powers back on. Matt was with us last week doing his own webinar. And he's collaborated with us a great deal, um, as well as with Elaine. So thank you to all of you for coming. Thanks, Elaine, for coming on again. And I'm going to turn it over to Matt. Hey, everybody. Thanks, I'm Matt Powers. <laughs> I am a teacher. I'm an author. I'm a seed saver, a gardener. I'm a family guy. And I wrote this, this, this series of books. And it really was only possible with the information, not only you know, directly applied the direct feedback from Dr. Lane Ingham, but none of this really would be possible without the discoveries that she, her husband, her team discovered early on, like decades ago. And then she took that information and developed it over time. Most people don't understand. I mean, when they talk about compost and you're like, oh yeah, I, I get it. You just add organic matter. That's great. It, it, that, that source, if you follow that watershed of influence back to where it began, you will find Dr. Lane Ingham. You will find not only like her, her discoveries, it goes all the way back to her childhood working with microscopes, following in her dad's footsteps. There, there's an incredible story here. And I've been privileged to learn about it, learn from it and to, to benefit from it because that's what's going on. We're part, all the soil scientists, all the people who use compost all over the world owe a huge debt to Dr. Elaine Ingham. And when I started using compost, you know, I was studying Elaine Ingham, I was studying Jeff Law, and I was studying all these different things and I was using it. And I was like, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. I started running with it. And I just did it just the way almost everyone else does. And I had wild success. This is what happens when you start using compost and you've never used it, but it wasn't uniform. I then steered towards the things that were favored by the composting method I was, you know, using, but it wasn't sophisticated. And so I didn't have an understanding. Instead, I did what farmers have been doing forever, right? They just kind of steered, oh, I'm going to grow these ones, I guess. You know what I mean? And it wasn't the sophisticated understanding. And I've spent years learning with Dr. Elaine Ingham, understanding the underlying causes, the, the microbiology that influences it. And it's clear to me that if you want to understand what really needs to happen next, you need to understand it on a holistic level. And that means micro to macro. And you only get that when you get that micro too. And so it, it, it it's this missing piece in the understanding that this is sophistication that is missing from all these backyard gardeners. And they're like, yeah, no, this was a good tomato year. Do they know why? <laughs> was it because that they did their uh, compost with this ingredient this year? This, they don't know why they have no idea. And for people who are commercial farmers, people who are raising stuff that's going to be medicine for people, whether it's herbal or something else, this is critically important, the soil, understanding it micro to macro. And that's, you know, that's what's so exciting about Dr. Lane Ingham, because she not only can take you micro to macro, 
she can put it in words that everyone can understand and then pull, apply it to their specific sites, their specific zone. There's no one like this because she's lived it. She's seen it go from the micro to the macro. She's seen it go from her child and understanding, working with, with animals, working with farmers, working with plants and, and, and soil, all the way to that, that macro level, to the most sophisticated level. So if you were to learn from anyone on soil life, on microscopy, on, on composting, there is no one that I recommend higher than the source. And that is Dr. Elaine Ingham. Take it away. Okay. Thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, oh, good lead sorry. in. All right, one more. Uh, we're just going to make sure. Can everyone see and hear that presentation? Just give me some ones. Uh, let us know when that come in, and then we will get totally started. We'll turn. We'll turn off my silly, stupid webcam. Okay, great. Yes, yes. We got a lot of yeses. They can hear us. They can hear us. Russ Spear coming back and see Russ. All right, only you're all good. Okay, thank you very much, Raleigh. Should I turn my webcam off as well, or? You'll turn no, it no. off. No, we, we definitely want your webcam on. That is, okay. keep your webcam on. Oh, darn. You're going to be able to watch me all the way through. That's right. So here we go, the webinar. So um, I'm going to be talking about some new examples. We, of course, have been training uh, advisors uh, through the Soil Food Web uh, Environment Celebration Institute uh, training advisors to be able to go out and work with people and bring them along, hopefully just as fast as I would be able to do that with anyone. And so we have um, accumulated a lot of good success stories from our advisors that are have been in training. They've finished their final project, which is to take a, an area where they've got dirt where through chemical applications, through too much tillage, through fire, through devastating disturbances in the systems, they, that biology in the soil has been destroyed. So now, how do you put it back as rapidly as possible and typically within a very short period of time because you wanna get good yields, you wanna exit the weeds, you wanna get rid of the diseases and the pests just as fast as you possibly can. So now you can have good yields. And so a number of examples from our advisor trainees where they are doing exactly that. And typically it takes them only one growing season to be able to do that transition from dirt back into soil. Because of course, soil is dirt with the biology, with the organic matter that's necessary um, to support these communities of microorganisms that support your plant. So, next slide, if you would, please, Raleigh. Here we go, the soil food web. When we're going through this system, of course, everything starts back there with the sun. So you can look in the upper left-hand corner of this diagram. There's the sun, photosynthesis occurring in the plants. But most of the photosynthetic material, the sugars that are made as that process of fixing sunlight energy, you making carbon chains out of the carbon in carbon dioxide, making those sugars, most of those sugars from photosynthesis will actually go down into the root system of the plant. They will be released into the soil and the plant puts out different kinds of sugars 
different kinds of cakes and cookies, if you will, into that soil to grow the specific bacteria and the specific fungal species that the plant needs to do all the beneficial things that this food web in the ground can do for that plant. So it's going to grow specific bacteria that form microaggregates, start building structure. They're gonna put out exudates, cakes and cookies to grow the fungi that will build the macro aggregates, which allows water to infiltrate into your soil. If you don't have good water infiltration, you have to start thinking about getting the structure built in the soil. And that's all about bacteria and fungi as the initial steps in that process. Fungi build macro aggregates from the micro aggregates that the bacteria make. So we've got to have both of them. Depending on what plant you're trying to grow, we have to have a different balance of fungi to bacterial biomass in that soil. Depending on what stage in succession the plant is that you want to grow. So if you're growing very early successional brassicas, very early successional grass species, you want quite bacterial dominated. As we get a little more fungi growing in that soil, then we're going to be setting the stage to grow uh, mid-successional things like the uh, ryegrass or lettuce, carrots, um, tomatoes, potatoes, things in that mid-successional stage. As we keep, as the, as the plant keeps putting out more and more foods to grow more and more fungi, because succession is occurring, we're moving from earliest successional plants into later successional. So let's say now we're going to row crops. Um, when we're growing highly productive grasslands, we need an equal balance of fungi to bacteria. As we're increasing, or as nature increases that fungal biomass in the soil, and now that we're understanding that, we have to be helping nature do that because human beings have been destroying the system for so long that we have to get busy helping nature to um, build, rebuild that soil um, for us to grow plants in. So as that fungal biomass comes along, what you see is that all of the weedy species cannot grow anymore. They either cannot germinate, they cannot compete with your crop plants, in the conditions that you've developed by getting this biology back into the soil, the weeds can't survive. And it, we go into why that is, understanding what is it that makes nitrate in soil versus what makes ammonium in the soil, the soluble inorganic forms of nutrients that your plant needs to take up. And of course, it's not just nitrogen that your plant takes up, it's all those other nutrients. It's, you know, nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, magnesium, calcium, sodium, potassium, iron, zinc, you know, all of the however many essential nutrients anybody wants to tell you about, your plant needs them all, just like you do. And so you better be growing plants with all the nutrients in it for you to be able to obtain the nutrients that you require to make you healthy. So going through this successional process, we really have to understand what's that ratio of fungi to bacteria and have you made the biology in your soil such that you're going to be selecting for the plant you want and against everything you don't want. So we help you a great deal understand the details of 
managing that, you're going to make compost to have that source of the bacteria and the fungi. Okay, so is that all you need? No. We have to make sure that those root feeding nematodes are not present. Those are the bad guy nematodes. So if you look in that second trophic level in this picture, up at the top of that column are the root feeding nematodes. How do you select against the diseases and the pests and the problem organisms? Well, you have to make the conditions in your soil such that there's plenty of oxygen coming from the above ground down into the soil where water is infiltrating properly, where roots can grow as deep as they possibly can so that all of those nutrients that the bacteria and fungi are going to supply will be plant available. So we have to build structure. So we need the bacteria and the fungi, microaggregates, macroaggregates, have to build that so water can easily move through your soil and not get hung up. Anytime you have a compaction layer in your soil, water moving through that soil, oxygen moving through the soil, the roots of your plants growing through that soil are going to stop there at that compaction layer. And so we have to be able to recognize where those compaction layers are. And we're going to have to send the microorganisms to the rescue. Build that structure. So then oxygen, water, your roots, microorganisms, the aerobic microorganisms can grow as deep down into that soil as your root systems require. And people are usually amazed when they go through the online courses, when they find out how far down into the soil the roots of healthy plants actually have to go. So we'll... Um, go through all of that information, help you understand how that works. So going back to the bacteria and fungi, let's move on to the third trophic level. Why are the protozoa important? Why are the beneficial nematodes, the bacterial feeders, the fungal feeding nematodes, why are they so beneficial to your plants? Why are those microarthropods so beneficial to your plants? Because they eat the bacteria and fungi that are accumulating the nutrients from your sands, your silts, your clays, your rocks, and your pebbles. It's really critical for everyone to understand this. And, uh, you know, I can't help but mention it. I can't help but go through this because you have to understand that you have no need for inorganic fertilizers when you're trying to grow plants. Healthy plants and inorganic fertilizers are the opposite ends of the scale. Every single inorganic fertilizer is a salt and it kills the biology in your soil way before it kills your plant. It's going to kill your beneficial bacteria and fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, and you can't cycle nutrients back into a plant available form then anymore. So you can see what the chemical companies have been doing. They've been trying to convince you to put on massive amounts of inorganic fertilizers, all these different kinds of salts, you know, lime gypsum, ammonium nitrate, um, phosphate, um, mineral nutrients, uh, sulpomag, all of these different things, you know, potassium and stuff, in order to make certain that you are going to stay addicted to their drugs. You have to buy their inorganic fertilizer. So how do you stop? How do you get off of that addiction? You need to put this biology back into the soil. You got to get enough in the right balances, and that's where we help you learn how to make compost. Um, and then 
make certain that the balances are correct so you won't have weeds. So your plants will be protected from diseases and pests. And so there's another thing that this biology does is completely cover all the surfaces of your plants so that no disease causing or pest organism can even find your roots. They can't find the above ground part of your plant because the chemical signals, the um, uh, volatile organic compounds are no longer made and they just fly right past. If they do land, there's a good thick layer of these beneficial organisms growing and that disease or pest organism can't even get close to any of that plant tissue. So no more diseases, no more pests. You don't have to be using those pesticides. How much money could you save if you don't have to be buying pesticides or inorganic fertilizers? So um, these are the lit. This is the list of all of the benefits that you can get from a healthy food web, from getting the proper balances of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, the higher level predators as well. And again, we go into detail on this in the online courses. And so, you know, we've only got an hour and a half uh, to go through a lot of really good examples here. And I want to get to those examples. Um, so those of you who, um, you know, it seems like I'm kind of leaving things out. Boy, this seems rather magical. Please take the online course so you can get the information that you need so you really understand how nutrient cycling occurs. The plant puts out the exudates, the cakes and cookies, to wake up the bacteria and fungi that will go out and make the enzymes to pull those nutrients into the bacteria and fungi. Well, your plant can't get nutrients from bacteria and fungi. So you have to have predators, the protozoa, the nematodes, the microarthropods to eat the bacteria, to eat the fungi. And because the nutrient concentration in bacteria and fungi is so much greater than what any of those predators require, that the predator has to release the excess nutrient, the nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, sodium, potassium, iron, zinc, boron, all of those things are going to be released in the proper balances and in the right form for your plant to take up. There's absolutely no reason to put any inorganic fertilizer back into your soil. Your soil, the sand, silk, clay, rocks, and pebbles, the organic matter, have thousands, tens of thousands of years of nutrients. There's no reason for you to be putting inorganic fertilizers on unless you really like giving your money away to the chemical companies. So all of the benefits, of course, aren't just nutrient cycling, but we also suppress diseases. We hold in the bacteria and fungi. When your plants aren't growing, bacteria and fungi are still in the soil doing their thing, but they're now just holding, keeping in place, maintaining all of the nutrients up here right where the roots will grow when you plant them in your beds when you plant them in your agricultural fields. Because these bacteria and fungi, protozoa nematodes, microarthropods um, are still working and functioning when the rain's pouring down in the springtime or in the fall, or if you're in a very wet part of the um, world, even in the summertime, um, you're not gonna have leaching. You're not gonna have uh, a runoff. No, erosion doesn't happen. Uh, working with Hendrik Estraven up in um, uh, near Seattle, 
um, showing that a 45 degree slope that was starting to slip slide down the hill, go out there, put on the proper biology and immediately tie things back into place. Oh, you better make the right compost. You better have an understanding of what has to be in there. And that's where your microscope comes in. You can check and you can make certain that you've got the organisms to do all these beneficial things and that you've got the balances of the organisms as well. So suppressed disease, don't need pesticides. How much is that gonna save you on an annual basis? Retaining nutrients so you're not losing them. Every single inorganic fertilizer that is applied is applied at high concentrations because they know that you're gonna lose 80% of it. All that stays in that system on average in general is gonna be 20%. Think of that price tag. 20% of that money is only staying in your soil. The rest of it is leaching out and where's it going? It's destroying water quality. The thing that's gonna take out humanity on this planet is a lack of clean water, not a lack of food. We make more than enough food to feed everybody on this planet, feed everybody a good diet. Okay, we're not so good on the distribution end of it, you know, the concentrated in the wealthy and all that, but we grow enough food to feed everybody, but we don't have enough clean water. That's what's gonna take us out. So we have to stop allowing leaching of 80% of the inorganic fertilizers that are applied to agricultural fields, to homeowner lawns, things like that. Yeah, it's a, gotta get over that. Gotta cycle nutrients, make them available to your plant. If there are toxins uh, being produced in anaerobic conditions where you've got that compaction layer, the compaction layer is anaerobic, and there are very toxic things made in any anaerobic condition. So when somebody wants to talk to you about anaerobic teas are good for your plants, no, not if it's a healthy plant. Doesn't need it, doesn't want it, and it's actually harmful. Oh, what if you have a sort of sick plant? Oh, okay, then the toxins in that anaerobic tea in an anaerobic compost may kill the pathogens. And so you'll see a positive response. But now, once you've gotten rid of those bad guys, how are you gonna maintain the good? So you gotta have the compost. You've gotta have the organisms to go back into that soil, build structure, hold your water, all these good things that we've already talked about. So if I could have the next slide. Quick overview of the last webinar, so many of the things that I was just talking about, all the nutrients that plant needs are in the soil. The problem is we've killed the biology through tillage, through the use of inorganic fertilizers, through the use of pesticides, and the biology's gone. It's not soil, it's dirt. So we have to put the biology back through the use of compost, compost extracts, teas, you know, why have all of these things? Well, different people, you know, want to apply this biology out in different ways. So compost is a solid. It's the best way probably to get the whole diversity and all of the foods out, but sometimes it can be difficult. So instead, let's turn that compost into a liquid form, either as an extract that goes on your soil, inject it into the soil, put it on the soil surface, but make sure that biology starts moving down through your soil. How far did the biology go 
Well, that's what your microscope is for. You can't manage things if you can't measure them. So let's get that ability to know where the microorganisms are and which ones, because that's critical for you to start making a profit as you're trying to farm. So a tea, compost teas, we're actually gonna wake up all these organisms and get them to grow really fast so that they will stick to the leaf surfaces and the underside of the leaf and to the flowers and to the seed as it's being set, to the fruit as it starts to grow. We have to make sure that those organisms instantaneously stick to those surfaces. So then they will protect your plant from all the diseases and pests and problem organisms. So nutrient cycling, disease suppression, building structure in the soil, we just have to get the biology back in there. So industrial, traditional agriculture, they've degraded soil for thousands of years. Um, and as a reference, see um, David Montgomery's book called The Dirt, called Dirt, The Erosion of Civilizations. That goes through every single um, civilization on the planet before us. They are all wiped out. They all failed because they destroyed their soil and turned it into dirt. So we can't be repeating that. If you don't go back and look at history, you are doomed to repeat that history. So please let us stop now by everybody starting to understand what biology does for you in the soil and the fact that we must nurture it not destroy it. Newcomb approaches to doing things are really, really stupid. So plant diseases, pests, virus, weeds are merely symptoms of dirt. How do you turn your dirt back into soil? Well, we're gonna go through some examples um, and hopefully you'll get lots of good ideas, but remember it goes back to the biology in your soil. Disturbances, compaction tillage, these things fire, excuse me, fire. These things um, destroy the biology. And so we have to stop using those unless there's just no other choice. Tillage is a tool in your toolbox. And sometimes under very rare and unique conditions, tilling is a good idea. But most of the time, 99% of the time, you're going backwards faster than you're going forwards. It may be more convenient, but uh, how convenient is it to have to be putting out applications of pesticides every week? Uh, yeah, so we need to understand what we have to get back into the soil and why these kinds of management practices really are not a good idea. So large-scale land restoration restores the life in the soil. Um, so we got to use that starting material that's in your natural systems. Um, there's the inoculum of all your beneficial organisms so that you can grow whatever kind of plant you want to grow, uh, wherever you want to grow it. If we understand exactly what you want to grow, we can pretty much grow anything. Okay, I'll give you that we will probably never grow bananas at the North Pole. There are some limitations. We have to have soil, first of all, and it can't be frozen. So there are a few limits, but for the most part, if we really understand the conditions and we understand what your plant requires and we can get the biology back into that soil and the proper balances, you're going to be able to grow sustainably. We're gonna sequester carbon every second 
of every day in your soil, which is something you cannot do in dirt. Next slide. So uh, what we're gonna actually go over, we're gonna be talking about succession. Um, you know, what do I mean when I say that? Uh, we're gonna touch on compost and compost teas to help you understand um, where all this biology comes from and you know, just a little bit of a hint, hopefully to convince you to go to the online courses and take the online courses. But as um, Raleigh said, we really want to start with the life in the soil so you understand all the basics. And then we go to the practices. How do you make certain that this compost, this extract, this tea, these liquid forms of compost, how do we make sure that the biology that your plants need are in that those materials? So what are the ideal conditions? Then we have the case studies from the farmers. And, um, and then of course uh, we will um, encourage you to um, take the online courses. I do want to point out that we will give you a password for those courses that will last a whole entire year because we realize that sometimes you get really busy and you mean to be doing the lectures uh, every day. You mean to be watching the videos every day, but you know, lifetime just gets by you. And you know, if you don't manage to get everything watched in a year, um, just give us a, a, a call and we'll extend the password for you. So we really want you to understand and use this information because we all have to work together to prevent us from destroying the habitat on this planet that supports human beings. Next slide, please. So this is an overview of succession. What do we mean when we say succession? Most people look at plant succession, what they can see above ground, but now let's correlate that with what's going on underneath the surface of that soil. And so getting these two things together at the same time. So when we're looking at the extreme left-hand side of this picture, you can see where uh, it's bare soil, nothing growing on there. The only thing that will be present in that bare soil is bacteria. And you really are not gonna grow anything if you have no nutrient cycling in that soil. So bare dirt, well, okay, it's got some bacteria in, in there, but it's not really soil if you have just bacteria or nobody home. So it's very, very, very difficult to have any good kind of plant production. If you're in bare dirt, um, solely bacterial dominated, you have to start seeing some fungi starting to grow. And so here's where weeds come in. Weeds come into bare soil when there's just you know, a little bit of life in there to get going with. And so that very first weed puts root systems down. At least there's a little cellulose. At least there's a little fungal food in those weeds. And so see where Mother Nature has taken every bit of soil, productive ecosystem on this planet was once upon a time bare soil. And the first thing that came in were these weedy species. They don't put much effort into the roots. 
They don't um, do a lot of nutrient cycling, but at least organic material is coming into that system that will grow both bacteria and fungi. So we start to see a shift. We start to see those really early successional weedy species arrive and then we go a little bit later. We get different kinds of weeds, more productive weeds. Um, the dandelions, the thistles, the composites show up. Well, most people are gonna think those are weeds. They're horrible, I gotta get rid of them. And the way we get rid of them is to push that fungal biomass. Let's put in plants that will put more effort into that root system. So now we're gonna go through those early successional annual species, the brassicas, the bromes, the Bermuda grasses, the um, not so wonderful, you can't keep animals alive on a pasture of those kinds of plants, but you know they look green, they look pretty, and they are establishing more fungal biomass. So you can see that nature is pushing this system to the more productive, more productive, more productive by ever increasing that fungal biomass. Look at the ratios on the bottom um, lines of this underneath the picture. You know, we start off with bacteria at 1,000 micrograms, no fungi, fungal to bacterial ratio, 0 0.05. Yep, you're growing weeds here, and that's it. Even with a fungal to bacterial ratio of 0.1, you're still mostly growing weeds. So now get that fungal biomass up a little bit higher. So 0.3, 500 micrograms of bacteria, 150 micrograms of fungi. And now we're growing brassicas. We're growing those early successional crop plants, if you will. Move on to the mid-successional grasses. So um, potato and tomato, the solanaceae, um, the lettuce, the carrots, those sorts of things, fungal to bacterial biomass ratio between 0.3 and 0.7. And so building that fungal biomass, building structure in the soil, building um, disease protection. By the time we're to row crops, we need it to be an equal balance of fungi to bacteria. So let's say 500 micrograms of bacteria, 500 micrograms of fungi. Move over into the highly productive grasslands. We're on the side of you know 600 micrograms of bacteria, 3,000 micrograms of fungi. In our orchard systems, 400 micrograms of fungal a bacterial biomass, 10,000 micrograms of fungal biomass. Old growth forests, 75% of the volume of one gram of soil in an old growth, highly productive, some of the greatest rates of plant increase, plant production on an annual basis in these old growth cedar forests and three quarters of the weight of a gram of soil, a teaspoon of soil is fungal biomass. The USDA will tell you that's not true uh, because the USDA works with agriculture. They don't look at forests. They have no idea of the end of this successional process. So can we get soil that is more fungal? Absolutely. Nature's been doing it for the last, oh, I don't know, billion years or so. So she's had a little practice. So we want you to understand that um, what is the plant you want to grow? So you can pretty much go in here in this uh, successional chart 
and figure out what the plant is that you want to grow, where does it occur in the successional process, and then you can figure out what your fungal to bacterial biomass ratio ought to be. So let's say you want to grow mint, all right? Where is mint found in this successional process? Go out into the real world, and where does mint occur in the real world? Where do you find it? So it's found in meadows. It's usually found in fairly wet areas around the edges of you know, where the soil is maintaining moisture. Early in the spring, not all through the year, early in the spring especially. And so we're looking at something that, that for mint, we want something between a 0.3 and a 0.5 fungal to bacterial biomass ratio. Go into the soil where mint is thriving on its own with no inorganic fertilizers, no pesticides, no need for support. Take some of that soil and look at what the bacteria are, what the fungi are, what the protozoa, and what the nematodes are. And then you know, this is what your crop of mint wants, what it requires. Um, what if you want to grow blueberries? So where do you find blueberries in the real world? Yeah, in... Um, the edges of forests. So fungal bacterial biomass ratio, find in this picture that ratio down there in, in the bushes. So 600 micrograms of fungi, of uh, bacteria and 3,000 micrograms of fungi. You have to have mycorrhizal fungi on the root systems of uh, blueberries. So you've got to find some ericoid mycorrhizal inoculum to put on and not, that's not for sale any place on the market that I know of. You're going to go. have to go out into an existing blueberry area and collect some of those root systems that have the mycorrhizal fungi. Well, how do you know that there are mycorrhizal fungi on there? You're going to have to use a microscope. And so you need an epifluorescent shadowing microscope to be able to see those, to know that you've got a good inoculum that you've pulled out and you only have to be putting a little tiny bit of that root system into each planting hole. So figuring out what your plant needs and then let's figure out where your soil, where your dirt is at, what's present in your dirt. So what do you have to fix? So you go out and take a sample of your agricultural soil and you take it to your microscope and all you see in there is bacteria. So what kind of plants are you selecting for when the only thing present in your soil are bacteria? Yeah, you're in trouble. You're growing a whole boatload of weeds, which is why you have to use those herbicides. It's why you've got disease and insect and everything else problems. So how do you now move your dirt into a healthier condition so you don't have to use these toxic chemicals to try to force your plant to grow? So you're going to want to make compost. You're going to want to make things um, that have the biology required. So here's a table for you where we're, we're looking you know, early in succession, all the associated factors that are controlled by the presence of the biology in your soil. When you have strictly bacteria, it's very easy to be in anaerobic conditions, no structure, no bacteria, no fungi, no structure. Oxygen cannot get into that soil, water can't. 
And so all these consequences going down the line, vegetation, soil structure, nutrient status, looking down the left-hand column of this table, really summarizes for you what's going on when you're dealing with dirt. Only bacteria. How about bare soil where, yeah, we got a little bit of fungi, but not much. Um, how about weeds? So weeds are the things that start to tell you that things are getting, you, at least you got some biology in that soil, but not nearly balanced correctly. Next slide. So next slide. Oh, do you want to go on the, the row crops or the or the deciduous trees? Just, yeah, just keep going. Yeah, so here's uh, where we're looking at early successional. I was talking about Bermuda and, and bromes. Vegetables, early successional grasses. Um, you know, we can just go through. You know, we kind of went through them really fast. Um, but we have these tables, and you can you get them from the, um, the uh, online courses. So really letting you know exactly what's going on. When you look at the biology in your soil and you can tell what kind of plant that soil, that balance of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and nematodes, what are you selecting for in this soil? Is that what you want? Can you get a soil that's too fungal? Well, if you're trying to grow... Uh, brassicas, yeah, you can get a soil that's too fungal and your plants are not going to do well. Um, what if you're trying to grow blueberries and all you have are bacteria? Yeah, you're in trouble. So figure out what is in your soil and then figure out what the plant you want to grow needs. And then use compost, compost teas and extracts to put that biology in and get it growing. Next slide. So when we're looking at um, some work by um, Renald Flores, um, his company's name, Floresens Systems, we're looking at the yields where he's comparing um, three different um, scenarios. So let's quick go through these scenarios up at the top of the table. Um, so he's looking at total days, days in the field, um, so a little bit of how long it takes to grow these crops, um, the crop name. So you can say these are, see, these are a lot of vegetables. Scenario one is where he's using the chemical system. So the typical chemical agricultural system. Scenario two is where he's using um, municipal waste uh, compost, not what I would consider compost, I really think of this material that you get from most composting operations that are um, present. Um, that's not really compost. It doesn't meet the definition of compost other than it's been brought up to way high temperatures and it's been turned once a week, whether the, the organic material need to be turn, turned or not which means that it went anaerobic, it, it's putrefied along about day three before it ever got close to being turned. Lots of toxic chemicals, lots of loss of nutrients. Under anaerobic conditions, you lose your nitrogen, you lose phosphorus, you lose sulfur, good luck growing plants with this stuff. 
it's more likely to kill your plants than it is to benefit your plants. And then scenario three is where this compost was made with proper biology in it. So that third title is microbiological inoculation and compost. And so looking at these different scenarios, when you compare the difference between the inoculated, the good compost with a proper biology as compared to the conventional system, you can see the increases in yields. 73%, 87%, 109%. And this is in the first growing year. This is where you're working on getting the biology to the right place. Every year, you want to get it closer and closer. What we've seen at the experimental farming in California is on the first year that we uh, put crops into the ground, no biology plus biology, that the plus biology increased in yield by on average 50% over you know, the 30 different crops that we were growing, 50% increases in yield. In the second year where the biology got even better in the plus biology side, we increased yields by 300%. And in some cases, a thousand percent. So what's it gonna be this year? Yeah, stay tuned, we'll let you know. So you can see these differences. Um, the last column in this one, the pink column, um, is the percent difference in scenario two with uh, questionable compost versus um, the, uh, the um, third scenario one. So you can look at those different comparisons. Picture from Renald, um, gorgeous, the plants. Um, every one of us would wanna be um, having yields that look like this. Next slide. So potatoes. I love the I love it when somebody puts an e on the end of potato. Um, okay, so um, Brazilian uh, Portuguese. So let's see scenario three. Here's the plus biology um, with the full diversity of the beneficials um, versus scenario one, which is no input, um, and scenario two, which is uh, putting in commercial compost. You can see with scenario one that there's a lot of disease, there's a lot of problems, the sizes of the potatoes are all much, much smaller. Um, with the commercial compost, this was not a good compost. This did not contain the biology that you want and the difference between scenario one and scenario two is minimal. So um, getting the nutrients, um, dealing with the diseases and pests, these are our expected benefits, and we're showing time and time and time with all of the SFI advisors as they're doing this work, they're getting these same kinds of results. So next slide, if you would, please. Um, we can um, want to do nutrient concentrations. That's uh, something that I want to continue to do so we would have nutrient um, information. This shows the difference in the biology when we're looking at scenario one versus two, versus three, you can see that um, we have uh, really high levels of bacteria in um, scenario one and two, and much lower in the proper balanced uh, compost. Um, that fungal to bacterial ratio is much more fungal, but it still needs to be increased. 
These are potatoes. Potatoes require something that's more like a 0.7, and you can see that third row down is that fungal to bacterial biomass ratio. It's really horrific in scenario one. And of course, the yields weren't good. The soil was compacted. Ciliates and root feeding nematodes were present. Good indicators of um, anaerobic conditions, compacted conditions in that soil. Scenario two, um, the um, fungal to bacterial ratio was 0 0.07. It's up at 0.13 in the scenario three. And look at the difference. We were just in the last slide, we were looking at that difference in yield and um, appearance and improvement uh, reduction in um, diseases and pests and size of the potatoes were better. So this is the kind of data that we want to help us understand how far have we come along? How much more work do we need to do? Well, even with slight improvements in the biology in your soil, you're going to be getting increases in yields of 50 to 100%. Keep going. Next slide. And of course, if you um, talk with Rinald, he can um, go over some of these results with you. So here's from his onions, where he's, uh, you know, here's the scenario three with the proper biology over on the left-hand side, um, scenario one with no, uh, no biology added into the system, and then the commercial compost where clearly the commercial compost had some diseases in it. And so you're harming your plants more than you're helping if you don't understand the biology that this plant requires and that there were some specific onion pathogens in that mm, putrefied organic matter. I Myself, I would not um, contaminate the term compost by calling that material compost. It's detrimental if you're not checking it and making sure that the beneficials are present in that compost. So next slide. Onion yield results when we're looking at the actual biology. So again, looking at that fungal to bacterial biomass ratio, scenario one with no added biology in it, really bad. Mm, what does um, onion require? Well, onion is earlier successional than potatoes are. So potatoes need around a 0 0.7, 0 0.8, um, whereas onions, they're down around a 0.5. So Again, we're not the um, improvement in the biology in these um, soils isn't complete, but he is getting significantly better results. When you're looking at a fungal to bacterial biomass ratio of 0 0.004, there's almost no fungi in there, no beneficials in there to speak of. Um, scenario two with the uh, not so wonderful mm, putrefied organic matter, uh, 0 0.06. Uh, well, it's better than no biology, but you can see where you would sometimes have not a negative uh, impact versus where good compost with the right biology was added much closer to the desired level, but there's still some more improvement that will occur. So next slide, please. Assuming you're all looking at all of the rest of these tables and having fun 
ferreting out little facts and information, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm talking too long, so we've got to get going. So um, this is with um, uh, with um, celery, and again, look at the size of the root ball. There's really a huge difference in these three um, different managements, and it's extremely visual. You can see the benefit. We don't have the yellowing leaves. We don't have the um, you know, shorter stems, so a lot more production where we have the proper biology. So let's keep going. Do you see the fennel? Yep, so here's the fennel. Um, same sort of thing, the, the data are on the bottom underneath the picture. So we're, we're looking at the um, size of the base, how much larger it is where we have all the proper biology, um, not nearly the size, significantly less and diseased roots on the fennel uh, with uh, scenario one and the scenario two with the not so wonderful uh, organic matter, uh, again, diseased root systems. So 140, grams sellable weight with biology and half of that in the control, just about half with that um, not so wonderful organic matter. So next slide, I think will be the biology in those systems. Ah, okay. So there is information from Anald. Um, he is just finishing up his certification. So with those kinds of data and the biology information, he's going to get that certification. And so he's already um, set uh, to start working with other people who want help um, going through these kinds of conversions of their dirt back into soil. Now we're going to shift to grasses, um, parks, pastures. So um, equal biomass of fungi to bacteria kind of systems. So next slide, we're going to be looking at uh, the compost tea trials at a dairy that we were we worked at in New Zealand. Um, in this, uh, what they did was half of the farm stayed in the conventional chemical application mode, half of the herd stayed on that half of the property. The other half um, of the herd stayed on the other half of the property. So this is like a 300 hectare dairy split in half. So 150 hectares on one side, 150 hectares on the other. In an acre on each side, the grassland was fenced off. So we could measure the increase in yield uh, and we could uh, get a nutrient concentration in this plant material. So um, next slide, I'm gonna try to hurry through this just a little bit. Um, inside those one acre um, areas, the grass was mowed every time the um, there was enough grass to mow and we collected it all, weighed it all, and then do nutrient concentrations. On the half of the farm, um, we applied 
three applications of compost tea and foods. Well, the foods are the new, the um, foods that you put into the compost tea to grow the organisms. Um, and at a very low concentration, you know, 150 liters per hectare, which is what about 50, um, it's gonna be 50 liters per hectare. So very small amount, what is that about? Um, 10 gallons per acre applied every four weeks to, starting in October. So October 1st, November 1st, December 1st, January 1st, oh, no, just three applications every four weeks. So October 1st, November 1st, um, December 1st, only those three applications were applied to all of the pasture on the plus biology part of the farm. The other part of the farm was conventionally fertilized with urea at the rate of 75 kilograms per hectare, which is more or less 75 pounds per acre of urea every six to eight weeks at a total of 450 pounds per acre through the whole entire growing season, which I know seems a, a little bit high, but that's normal rates. That's what is recommended for that part of the world. And then of course, Sopomag was applied. Um, if I remember correctly, that's uh, was something like 15 pounds per acre at industry maintenance because they do have a problem with magnesium and sulfur typically in these soils. So putting out Sopomag. So comparing the results from these two different kinds of managements. Next slide. Shows that uh, the total dry matter was a full ton greater where the compost tea was applied. Now I do wanna say that uh, for a whole entire year before we went into the plus biology treatment, absolutely no inorganic fertilizers, no pesticides, no nothing, no herbicides were applied on the plus biology side. And yet, the quality of that hay was significantly better. There was significantly less weed in this additional, you know, higher yield by an entire ton through the um, that uh, three months of testing as compared to the chemical side. So what does that tell you about what the pesticides and the inorganic fertilizers do to select for or against the problem plants that you don't want. So next slide, should be looking at, yes, a lot of clover was coming up. And of course the, um, the uh, veterinarian for the farm was very concerned. It was actually extremely concerned that as all this clover was starting to grow on the plus biology side, um, that that would cause an incredible amount of bloat in the animals. We had no bloat at all on the plus, plus biology side, even though we increased the percent of clover from almost not visible to being 50% of the stand, quite visible. Uh, we had no bloat, no problems with the animals on the plus biology side. The place we still had, they had bloat. There was still a problem with the digestive system of the animals was over in the, in the chemical side in the conventional management system. Well, urea, if it's eaten by the cows, causes serious bloat problems in the animals. Now, one thing I did not mention in this um, treat, in this um, experiment was 
all of the animals had facial eczema. Um, we tried to split it so that there was the same amount of eczema um, and same um, degree of severity in the no biology versus the plus biology. So the herd was split up on that basis. So facial eczema was equal on both sides. Facial eczema is a muscle wasting problem of the muscles in the face, in the jaw. And as the um, disease per progresses, um, basically all of the uh, muscles in the jaw region atrophy, they stop working and the jaw, the animal falls off. And of course, if you can't eat, you're gonna die. So it was a horrible problem in New Zealand when we first started working there. Um, and you know, I was like, I, I'm not a veterinarian. I don't have any idea of you know, what animals need. So that's why we made sure that we had an equal amount of eczema on, on both sides. So next slide. Just to let you know that we were starting off with that condition. Um, so this is the next example coming up, but I wanna finish up with um, the nutrient concentration in the plant material on the plus biology side was massively increased. And high levels of uh, selenium and um, uh, one other nutrient I'm not gonna remember, uh, much higher in the plus biology side as compared to the no biology side because the no biology side did not contain any detectable levels of those nutrients. All the animals on the plus biology side recovered from facial eczema. None of the animals on the conventional side recovered. And what that tells you is that on the conventional side, the plants are not, even get, not getting the nutrition that they require from that soil. And so the animals were dying. They were suffering from a mineral deficiency. As soon as you put the biology back into the soil, the plants are gonna get all the nutrients, all of the minerals that they require for the animals and for you to get the nutrients that you require. So now let's go on to this example from Camperdown Compost in Australia. Um, this was um, an area where um, all of these growers were well, really close to bankruptcy. They were about to go under. And so they were quite willing to try something, anything. And when we suggested that we would take all of their waste manure from their manure lagoons, um, turn it into really good compost with all the right biology, and then they could use that compost to go out onto their fields. And you can see on the, um, in these pictures, you can see examples of what these um, pastures look like um, after a very short few number of applications, compost going out with compost extracts as well. Um, you can see what the pasture looks like on the far left. Uh, you can see the amount of clover that was coming up in here. And again, same story. The veterinarian was just, oh, my God, you're going to lose all kinds of animals. No, we didn't lose any of the animals because it's the chemical high levels of uh, conventional chemical uh, mineral materials going out that that's what's causing the bloating problem, not the appearance of uh, or lack of clover. That's not the problem. They're, the guys in the middle were looking for nodules on the root systems of the clover, and there were thousands 
of good nodules, fixing nitrogen. So the clover was um, putting um, nutrients into the um, into the clover. People often get that wrong, that um, nitrogen fixa fixation is going to be putting nutrients into the soil, not directly. Um, the plant's going to get nutrients, going to get that nitrogen from the nodule only after the bacteria forming that nodule has made all the protein that those bacteria require. Then they give to the plant. The plant doesn't release that out into the soil. The plant uses all that extra nitrogen to grow more plant. Bigger and more beautiful, taking up more space. And of course, the cows love it. They absolutely adore um, good clover that uh, is functioning normally and not stressed. Um, so the animals are all healthy. Healthy. They're um, increasing yields, uh, heat, <clears throat> herd side size. They're not having to put any inorganic fertilizers, no urea, no sulfomag, none of the typical things that you have to add into a uh, pasture in order to make it grow. You just got to get the biology back. The th uh, third picture over on the right-hand side is a picture of the neighbor as compared to the plus biology. Neighbor was putting on inorganic fertilizers. The neighbor has not been able to graze that pasture because he's not getting enough growth. Whereas on the plus biology side, it's been grazed seven times since the season started. So who's going to make money here? Who's going to be able to pay all their bills? Now, when we first started with these growers, they were going bankrupt. By the time we were um, saving them, they didn't have to spend on the veterinarian bills. They didn't have to spend uh, on the inorganic fertilizers. They didn't have to spend for the um, uh, pesticides, for all of the you know growth hormones and all of the chemical things that they were told. Thank you. Um, we're going on. Um, and they could graze more animals. They all increased their herd side, size. Um, they were making money. And I love it when you're working real hard with these guys. And after the second year, what do they do with all that money that they're making? They don't pay us more. They go and put a swimming pool in. <laughs> oh, well, they deserve it. So next slide. So some of the results, you know, when we first started working with them, they would have to re-sow their pastures every year or every two years. And uh, because the cows, when they were grazing in the conventional system, the roots were so short, the compaction was right up there at the surface of the soil. So that um, when the animals took a mouthful, you know, wrap their tongues around the grass and pull, they were losing plants, roots and all. So they had massive bare spaces in their pastures, they were losing nutrients, they were losing soil. Um, and so they were resowing their um, seed every year or two, which is enormous cost to them. Um, nitrogen use was reduced in the first year. Some of them were kind of like, oh, can't quite let go of our um, fertilizer, so they only went halfway. Well, ultimately, if they went you know, whole hog, um, they said we saved the growers $200,000 in the first growing season. If they still wanted to put on inorganic fertilizer, it took a year, 
only reducing their costs by 100,000. And then in the second year, they would typically reduce the fertilizer by another 50%. And by the third year, they were saying, why am I wasting my money? Get rid of this inorganic fertilizer stuff. It's not needed. So they didn't have any diseases, no insect pressures. Their, their fertility increased. increased. Um, their stocking rate increased. Um, they bought more animals or they kept their heifers and um, raised them. And of course, their mycorrhizal fungi increased from 4% in the chemical world to 87%. And mycorrhizal fungi go out and collect at the request of the, of the plant. Mycorrhizal fungi go out, pull nutrients from the sand cell, clay, rocks, and pebbles, bring them back, and trade the plant, those mineral nutrients that the plant requires for photosynthate from the plant. So huge improvement. Um, the first year we worked with people, I think there were three or five, I think there were three in the first year. There were five growers in the second. In the third year, it was 75 because the information started getting out to all the dairymen in um, South Australia. Um, and by the next year, um, we were working with 275 people. And, you know, it's at the place where, Camper down compost, usually um, the guys working there just, they won't even answer you in the beginning of the growing season because um, they're just too busy. They're, they have just too many clients. So um, go work for them if uh, you have that information, if you have this knowledge about the biology and how to improve it because they've got clients that they need to have people helping them. Next slide. Okay, specialty crops. People often, you know, look at, you know, we work with a large acreage, huge size farms. Um, fine, we can do large size, we can do small size, and every size in between. So we have been working with cannabis and with hemp. Um, what is the proper biology? What is that balance of fungi to bacteria, protozoa, and nematodes that you need for cannabis? Are you trying to grow the, um, you know, the THC or are you trying to grow the medicinals? Um, when we're dealing with herbs of any kind, how do you increase the medicinal quality of that plant as opposed to when the conventional chemical system where you're just not making the medicinal um, material? Uh, you've got to get the right biology in there. And is it going to be something that's more bacterial or fungal or more, you know, do, how much nutrient cycling do you have to have? So these are some of the questions that we're working on. We have quite a few experiments going right now with um, cannabis where we're looking at um, if you're trying to um, produce something high in THC or if you're trying to produce something that's high in medicinals. And of course, most people are choosing medicinals because you make more money that way. Um, and so we know what that ratio needs to be. And we're even getting into the point where for different cultivars of cannabis, what is the proper ratio? So doing that kind of work. Uh, bamboo, you know, flowers, so when looking at the lavender there, um, cocoa tea, fiber. I was just up at a tea plantation, not yesterday, but the day before, um, looking at their production and kind of going through all of their um, tea bushes and going, you've got so much disease in here. Let's, let's get out here with the proper biology and fix this right now because you don't want to be having that reduction 
in yield uh, if you don't have to suffer that reduction in yield. So next slide. Next slide. Oh, is there it coming up? Yeah, yeah finally, yeah. I think I'm, I'm just really my computer. Uh, this is Corvallis and uh, Comcast. Urgh. So orchards and forests, um, compost, compost trees. You know, we um, try to, we, we have a typical routine. Here's what we do in the first year. And then we see how much the biology comes along in the right direction. All of these situations that we're looking at here require fungal dominance. So it, whether we're looking at banana or we're looking at pineapple or we're looking at um, avocado or just mature forest systems, they need to be fungal. Um, and so let's get that proper compost out there. Let's get the understory so that the understory plants here are also fungal dominated because then they will maintain the proper biology so that as soon as this plant starts growing, your crop plant starts growing, at the beginning of the growing season, immediately they're into maximum mode. Whereas, you know, you put something into the area below your plant that is more of a bacterial or, you know, like a 0.5 ratio of fungi to bacteria, 0.8, that's not really helping your plant. Well, it's better than bare soil, that's for sure but it's not helping your crop plant as much as you would want. So we've been doing work here for a number of years. If I can have the next slide. Um, I believe we have, oh, this is Christmas tree where um, we were working with a grower that had needle cast problems. So it's a fungal disease. Um, they had the chemical treatment. Um, so one of the rows would be chemically treated. The other would be plus biology. In the first growing season, we didn't see much difference. But look at below ground, look at the root systems. So to the, the picture to the right-hand side, um, you can tell immediately which one had the compost tea, which had the proper biology being put into that root system versus the chemically grown one where those roots are long and they're searching and they're desperately trying to find the nutrients that they require, you look at the root system on the one on the left and uh, you know, massive amount of small root tips, they're taking up all the nutrients. In the next growing season, the plants on the left-hand side grew two years worth. Um, in their, so in their third year, they grew um, twice as high as the chemical ones. In the fourth year of production, again, they did two years worth of increase. So at, I believe it was six years, the um, six to eight years, the um, six at, at six years, the, uh, the ones on the left could be sold. It could be cut and sold as mature Christmas trees, whereas it took another four years for the chemically grown ones to reach the stage, reach that sellable stage to um, go out on the market. So of course these people went crazy. Um, they no longer had needle casts. They didn't have the weeds in the system. They could sell their product at half the amount of time um, and they were beautiful trees. Now, notice I don't have pictures 
of the next stages because once these guys figured out that this was for real, they wouldn't let us have the pictures because they didn't want anybody else to know how it was they were achieving this kind of growth. Er. So next slides. Composting systems, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, whether you're doing small piles like the top picture or large scale massive amounts of compost being made. We can help you out both sides. We just have to get the right biology. And to get the right biology, we need to have a diversity, high diversity of food resources going in here, high diversity of the sets of organisms going into these piles. Um, small scale for gardeners, uh, large scale, you name it. Um, we can help you out on the commercial end or the homeowner end. You know, um, good compost should look nice dark brown, like in the bottom picture. Yes, it's a commercial operation, nice dark brown color. Um, people often look at the steam coming up off that um, windrow and go, oh my gosh, your compost is burning. No, that's just steam. The steam is uh, generated anytime the temperature in your compost pile is more than 15 degrees higher than the ambient temperature outside. It's just telling you you've got nice, toasty, warm compost. So do you have the biology in this or not? And that's what the whole compost class is about, is to help you understand small scale or large scale how to produce the compost that has the organisms in it that you need to get back into your dirt so you can convert your dirt back into soil. So of course, a good compost is worth its weight in platinum uh, because how much money can you make if you can increase your yields by 300 to 1,000%. So let's do it while reducing costs at the same time. Next slide. Compost tea systems or compost extract. Um, we're gonna turn the compost into a liquid um, form. And you know, which kind of tea brewer do you wanna buy? You wanna buy something where the volume of extract or tea that you're producing is what you're going to need to put out on your fields. Now, you are probably not going to be applying um, compost tea or extract to all of your fields all in one day. So work it out where it's, you know, how much am I applying each day for two days or three days and reduce the size of the equipment that you have to have. We want to work with you pretty closely on what's the kind of equipment that you need to have for the production that you want to have. And how much are we going to have to work really, really hard to do that conversion of the biology in your soil, you know, conversion of the biology in your dirt into soil? And, and so here's where we've got to get kind of one-on-one. -on -one. What do you want to do with the plants that you want to grow? What's in your soil to begin with? So we make this conversion as rapidly as possible. You know, human beings, we are so subject to this idea that if a little is good, more is better. So instead of only putting uh, a tablespoon of fish hydrolysate into my tea, I'm going to put a gallon into my compost tea. Well, you just destroyed it all because it's going to go anaerobic. 
microorganisms start growing really, really fast on all that good, juicy protein and sugars and wonderful stuff, and they just start growing so fast that they use up the oxygen faster than you can possibly pump it into your tea brewer. So we want to work with you and make sure that you understand the pitfalls, um, why this is so good, and where it is you can mess up really, really badly. Um, and, you know, just throw your hands up and say, this compost tea stuff doesn't work at all. I'm going to um, sell all this stuff and go back to the chemical system. And I'll uh, call us in when you're having those kinds of problems. Or hopefully learn right from the very beginning um, how to avoid these particular traps. Next slide. Monitoring biology with a microscope. You can't manage if you can't measure. So how do you know you have the biology that you need to have? Microscope. And there I am staring through the microscope. This is, I don't have to be all dressed up in a white, um, you know, lab suit. I don't have to have a respirator on my face. I need a pipette. I need, um, you know, a stirring spatula. Uh, I have to have a few test tubes. That's all you need. Um, typically, you know, you're making a compost tea, you just walk outside with your pipette, pull a sample from your tea brewer, put a drop on the microscope slide, the rest of your sample goes back into the tea brewer, and you walk back to your microscope, cover your drop with a um, cover slip on the microscope, and there I am determining whether this compost is ready to use, or this compost tea is ready to use or not. It takes you five seconds. Well, you've got to be trained to recognize what you're looking at. So when you look at the creature in that lower picture, is that a good guy or is that a bad guy? Should I be feeling good that I'm seeing this organism or should I be very afraid? And we got to teach you that. We've got to te teach you what the bacteria look like, what the good guy bacteria, what the bad guy, uh, who are the good guy fungi, what do the bad guy fungi look like? What do good guy protozoa look like? What do the bad? What are the good nematodes? What are the bad nematodes? The, you know, all of that. You then learn what management you should be doing when you're seeing what's lacking in your soil. When you see what's lacking in your compost, you're going to have to fix that too so you can get the biology back into your dirt and turn it back into soil so you can reduce your costs, you can be making a lot of money. So that's the microscope class. Um, we have um, microscope classes at the farm, but I don't like to teach people just about the microscope because then you don't know why um, these kind of bacteria or these kind of fungi are good or bad or indifferent. You, you need to know um, how to interpret the information that you're seeing. So go through the life in the soil class, how to make compost, how to make compost tea and extracts. And that's why we teach you the measuring um, methods at the end, because then you really understand why it's critically important for you to be able to have this way to measure what's going on. How can you figure out what's going on if you just, oh, it's like, I'm going to wave my hands over this and I'm going to say, yeah, this is very bacterial dominated. Ooh, you're going to have to work really hard with me to get that um, fungal compost up 
or you know wave their hands and oh yes we did a great job working with you lots of fungi in there really could you demonstrate that to me next slide please so here's an example from Shane uh, Plath um, working in um, South Africa and so Raleigh am I going through this or is somebody else going to go through this Oh, okay. Well, if you want me to go through it, I can. Really depends on what you'd rather do. It's up what to you. What do you feel like? People well, might if, be if, really bored listening to me. <laughs> I, come on. If you're bored with the lane, type in one. No. <laughs> I, I think they'd, they'd love to hear you do it if, if you're okay. cool with that. What does everybody think? I think people would probably want to hear you talk about okay. it. Okay. Am I right? Am I right? So, <laughs> I want to hear more of a link. I want to hear more of a link. Not bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so lots okay, of okay, cheerleading okay. for Elaine, so I think we have our answer. Thank you. So Shane is one of our um, Soil Food Web advisors. He's in training. He's just finished up this work um, in on his um, farm where banana is the main crop, but he's got a number of other vegetable types of crops. And so he did this work in both the banana as well as in his vegetables. And so finishing this up, he's got the biological data. He's got, you know, here's the plant production. So this is a good example of the kind of project we would want you to do to meet the requirement to be billed as a soil food web consultant, a soil life consultant. Um, so um, Shane started out suffering a lot of loss. And, and so you can see uh, what the banana plants look like on the left-hand side. And it's got the little title in there, Struggling Plants, December of 2015. And um, as an organic grower, he was very frustrated. He wasn't making very good crops, uh, not very good production, all kinds of diseases and pests, and just not getting what he wanted. So he was thinking about going back to uh, the conventional system because, you know, you got to make money. Well, that's the problem with the organic world. They don't explain exactly why it is that organic agriculture works. And it's all about the biology in the soil. If you really do organic agriculture correctly, if you really have the patience, if you let things get kind of bad, and then you, the biology starts coming in hopefully on its own, um, it will eventually. Um, you know, how long is it going to take Mother Nature to get this biology back? It, it could take her three years or 10 years or 100 years. So a lot of organic growers just they don't have that kind of time to wait for Mother Nature to get around to it. There's no source of good biology anywhere near their farm. So it doesn't matter how much organic matter you get on the soil surface. It doesn't matter that you're doing, oh, everything you think is right. How do you know whether you've got the biology? Yeah, microscope. So he was thinking about going back to the chemical system and he really didn't want to do that. It, he knew the dangers and he understood the problems with those toxic chemicals. So his farm, the farm workers were in jeopardy and he just hated to do this. So he started looking around and he came across the work that I was doing and 
did, took the classes and started to follow um, this process of getting the proper biology back into the soil. And so uh, really started working on it in 2016. So here you are in June of 2017, which of course is um, harvest time in the part of in South Africa. And you can see his bananas. Look at the difference. So the next slide, I think goes a little bit more into the story of this. Um, so you can, you can read his story up there. He was making compost because in the organic world, you're supposed to make compost as the means of fertilization, but they don't tell you how to make it properly. So it smelled really bad. It was anaerobic. Um, when you have all kinds of fly larvae being laid in the compost and you can see fly larvae in the um, putrefied organic matter, it's not really compost. Um, that's actually conditions where you're making some very toxic materials. You're making a lot of acetic acid, too, way too acidic. You're um, producing alcohol and that will kill the root systems of your plants. If you put it out and there's still alcohol in the compost, or remember that the organisms in an anaerobic situation, even though you may fluff it, even though you may mix that, got oxygen in there, the alcohol dissipated, but now you put that anaerobic material onto the surface of your soil, the anaerobic organisms in that material are going to immediately start making alcohol and other toxic materials. So it can be very detrimental. Putrefied organic matter is very detrimental to the plant. So he was seeing a lot of disease. He was seeing a lot of damage. Um, he was putting on potassium sulfate, which to me is like, how can that be organic? Potassium sulfate is a salt. What's natural about that? Uh, blood meal, lime, what's natural about that? Um, gypsum, those are both salts. Uh, manure, well, what's the quality of your manure? You really need to compost any manure so you get rid of the human pathogens and you get rid of the salt concentration that quite often comes in com commercially produced cow manures or horse manures. Cedar wood chips, yep, but with a cedar, you've got to make certain that the cedar um, volatile organic carbons evolve off because those are antimicrobial agents. So you've got to make sure the smell from any wood chip is gone before you actually use it. So he's using all these materials, not being successful. So he found uh, my work, you know, and, and started to learn. Next slide started to learn how to change his production. You know, there's December, 2015. Does that look like a banana plantation? That's pretty horrific, isn't it? Um, you know, and here we are then in June of 2017, hugely increased yields, got rid of the diseases and the pests. Well, he's not come as far as he can come. This will continue to increase over the next several years. When we were working in Australia, we had um, several banana growers that we were working with, but the one that comes to mind for me is um, Graham uh, it, uh, in Coffs Harbor. Can't remember his last name right off the top of my head. But um, when I went out to visit him first, 
and I looked out at his production field, I didn't even recognize that those were bananas because they were even shorter than what Shane was showing is showing you here in December of 2015. To me, the little banana plants look like um, something from outer space. Uh, had no idea what those plants were because they were so um, deformed. They were so unhappy. They were so unhealthy. So got them to start making really good compost. Yes, they were organic, but they weren't making the compost right. Got that through that information through to them. Take all of the um, grass away from the base of the tree, remove all of the um, weeds, and put in a good inch, inch and a half, if you can manage it, two inches of really good, extremely fungal compost as you possibly can get it. And within one growing cycle, all of the diseases, the pests, the beetles eating their way through the um, base of the trees, gone and they started producing bananas again. So I have pictures of the base of the hill looking up at the top of the hill through the banana plantation where you could very clearly see the farmhouse up at the top of the hill. And six months later, taking a picture from exactly the same place, looking up towards the top of the hill and you would never know that there was a house up there because the bananas came back. They had beautiful bunches of bananas. Uh, you just gotta get the proper biology back into that soil. Stop killing it. And even in the organic world, we will kill things. So gotta get, gotta get that part of organic mm, pulled back around so people understand what's important. Next slide, please. Um, monitoring critically important you know what's on the grass so you look at them harvesting the grass and you know they needed a lot of tonnage so they actually took one of their fields in order to grow the green plant material to have to put into the compost yards um, their initial inoculum they started in the small piles that you see on the lower picture on the left they started making the inoculum of these organisms to go into their larger windrows that they could be using in some of their production as well. Excuse me. And then here's their turner, um, and you can see the windrows, nice tall piles. You just have to be sticking your hands into it. You gotta be measuring temperature, you wanna be measuring oxygen, you wanna make certain as you're turning that there are no horrific smells happening. Yep, steam on the bottom, no worries about steam. It just means the temperature in your pile is much higher than the outside temperature and there's a little bit of moisture in the air. So Shane started learning how to make better and better compost, started improving his fungal inoculum, didn't have anaerobic conditions anymore. So they were applying at a rate of one to 10 tons per hectare. So you're looking at half a ton per acre, um, depending on what was missing in the soil. Because as you've got that microscope, you know what's missing in your soil. And so you know how much of your compost to be putting on. Next slide, if you would, please. So I like his turner. That's a nice over the row version. So um, Shane had 25 workers that he trained. 
Um, you had, you know, brewers, large size brewers, so he could be making enough to apply on all of his acreage. Um, because he wanted to get that biology turned around and get to the end of the process as rapidly as possible, he put out a fair amount of compost tea. So um, 150,000 liters of compost tea every two days per hectare, I assume, um, to very rapidly get the leaf coverage. Well, how do you know if you've got the leaf coverage you need? Microscope, take a look at it. Um, Shane is saying cleaning the brewers was the most challenging part. Well, you know, I it's me and my uh, high pressure washer. Um, I would probably just you know put additional hoses, um, you know, uh, bibs on that thing, so that when the compost tea is out, you could uh, um, high pressure wash all of these tanks at the same time and get rid of the any biofilms, any um, material that's uh, not completely washed out of the bottom of the tank, so you could very rapidly. So there are ways to do that um, much more automatically. So you can see his sprayer in the bottom left, um, and you wanna make certain that you've got the mist coming up from the bottom and covering the bottom of the leaves. The leaf material, on the bottom is where most of the diseases and the pests are going to establish. You don't see them. Other predators don't see them. And so you've got to make sure that you're covering the bottom of the leaf even more than the top. And then you can see on the bottom right how much improvement in banana production has occurred because the biology has been applied. Next slide. Um, Jane also noticed a huge incre increase in the thickness and density of the root hairs. Lots more small, fine feeder roots starting to happen. Um, at the very bottom, you can see that fungal hyphae. You can see that, those white strands. Um, that's what you want to see. You want to see that really good, thick rhizomorph material occurring, and that's going to um, let you know that your root systems are finally happy one more, once again. Building structure is another really important thing that you've gotta have both the bacteria and the fungi present to build structure. So oxygen and water and the root systems of bananas will go deep. Working with the guys at Coffs Harbor in Australia, um, they first believed that the root systems of bananas were just up here on the surface, that they didn't go down into the soil at all. No, that's because they they had a really terrible compaction layer in that soil. It was it was just awful, and so of course the root systems couldn't go down. They were restricted to this you know, little tiny layer of soil at the surface of the of their system. Whereas when we came in and we covered that all with really good compost around those trees, those root systems immediately just boom went for deep. They don't want to blow over in a hurricane. They don't want to be ripped out and taken away. So, you know, wind is, um, yeah, kind of a driving force. And we don't want that to be happening. So you've got to get those root systems going down into the soil. I think the last time I talked with Graham um, and his um, farm director, they were noting that the root systems on the bananas 
we're down at 10 feet. So healthy soil, when your roots can start going down that deep. Next slide, if you would, please. So um, some pictures then of um, you know their production. So you can see their, the plants in their greenhouse. Let's get the potting mix that you're making. Have the really good biology in it so your plants come to the field with the proper biology around them. You apply that pop proper biology into the planting hole. You make certain that the mycorrhizal fungi are in your potting mix. So when they their plants come out to the field, they already have the mycorrhizal fungi on them. And so all of these steps that you want to think about, ever improving that fungal to bacterial biomass ratios. So banana, it's a glorified grass. So most of the time we're looking at banana as having a fungal to bacterial biomass ratio, somewhere around maybe two to five. That's what we want to achieve. Shane was getting the bacterial ratios going from zero, no fungi at all, in his original dirt that he started working with. And so in this first year, he got that fungal to bacterial ratio to a 0.35, huge improvement, but not yet there where we need it to be. Of course, you got to have the protozoa. You better have some good guy nematodes, not the bad guys. So moving things along in the right direction, compost, extracts, teas, microscope, because you got to know the good guys are there and that you're actually improving them in your soils. Next slide. So I love all the pictures in here of Shane's improved production, and it applies not just to his bananas, but to the spinach and the green beans and the ginger. So it's great to have Shane show you the pictures of his ginger as it improved through that growing season. And then think about the fact that this is not just the end. He's not got everything to where it should be. He still has more improvement. Well, as he improves this biology in the soil, he's going to get greater yields, less problems with it. So he's only going to improve. His yields and the amount of money that he's making is just going to get better and better and better. Next slide. Ta-da, pretty pictures of bananas. So I don't know. Um, uh, Raleigh, did he tell you what the, those two different um, banana boxes were? Was, was this like his? Well, I think the first one is just example of the healthy bananas coming into the supermarket. And the, you know, bananas at that checkout counter, you know, they're, they're unblemished. They're looking great. And these are high priced organic bananas. You know, it's like when you go in a supermarket and you see the quality of bananas, it's great. He was just saying he was just, he was getting a much like a great price because organic bananas are in huge demand. They're, they're, they're not grown a lot and especially South Africa is because they're so hard to grow. That's why is, you know, he, he'd been trying this process for years because the demand was so high for organic bananas there in South Africa. Yeah. That was just showing like, these are such high quality, high quality bananas compared to other ones you would find in the supermarket. So which, uh, which agricultural field do you want? <laughs> no brainer. 
So isn't that the last slide for me? That's it, Elaine. I mean, this is a good opportunity. If you want to take a bath, well-earned bathroom break. Free, please go for it. <laughs> I need to go for two hours. But, I could uh, eat lunch. <laughs> you'll go eat lunch, but this is great. Like, So Brian's coming up really soon. He's coming from a regenerative agriculture homestead background and to share his story. But first, I want to tell you more about what Shane said. Like, I, I talk with Shane a lot about it, and it's hard to reach out to him. It's even the middle of the season. But what he said, he was so interested to share. He really wanted to share it because this saved his farm. You know, this is 1,500 hectares. This is a huge area. And it could have collapsed in a year, but by, by using this practice, he was able to turn this around in a year. While, while being a full-time farmer, while taking these online classes, he was able to use this information and get massive results on his farm. It was mind-blowing and just seeing just how fast things can turn around. And this can apply anywhere, anywhere this can apply. And he said, you know, I like to give God all the glory for what's been achieved on the family farm, which could have not been possible with the help of Dr. Elaine Ingham and the environmental celebration team. So that's some great words to end on by Shane. And now I want to turn it over to an amazing homestead farmer, Brian Vegg, and his journey to becoming a Life in the Soil consultant and helping other farmers do the same thing with improving production on their farms. Hello, sure thanks, Molly. Brian's up there. Can you guys see me? Hear me? Yeah. Can everybody see and hear Brian fine? Yep. Everybody can see. Great. Okay, Brian. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time, man. Sure. So um, thank you for letting me share my story. So I am Brian Vag, and um, I'm a homesteader. At least this is kind of how I started my journey. And I just want to share a little bit about my story and how I got where I'm at. Um, so start off, I did grow up on a homestead when I was a child. My parents raised animals. We grew orchard crops. We had vegetables. They were very much into, let's grow the food that we're going to, to eat and sustain ourselves. And um, with that, my parents were very conventional. Um, you know, they, they used fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides and fungicides, you know, for every symptom, there was a, a side to be able to use to be able to try to solve it. And, you know, it was a lot of work. I, I remember uh, as a kid, one of the things I actually hated about the homestead was the amount of weeds. Oh my gosh, I pulled weeds constantly when I was a kid. Um, and it was one of the, the things that kind of turned me off about homesteading in, in one sense. Um, but years later, um, my wife and I get married and we're talking about, you know, where we want to live. And it just seemed like a natural fit. Wanted to go back to the homesteading lifestyle. So 14 years ago, my wife and I bought a five acre plot of land in Northern California and we started to build our homestead. And, you know, you kind of use what you know, right? So I started down the whole conventional path of getting fertilizer and putting this side for whatever symptom or problem. And I just was not happy with the results. It seemed year after year, it just degraded and it was more work and the quality of the food was less and less and less. And so I, you know, we just needed to figure out a better way. And so we started looking at, you know, reading about uh, permaculture and, and other, you know, methodologies. And I feel like I have kind of a kindred spirit with Matt or at least a similar story, which is, you know, I came across the idea of permaculture design science and some of the other, you know, talk about soil biology. And I started to apply uh, those practices. And in some cases got great results. In other cases, didn't get good results or got the opposite of. And what was really lacking, and I'm the type of person that, that has to know the, 
the why is something happening and how is the mechanisms uh, that are, are causing these things to, to come about. And I couldn't find it. It was um, missing to me. And it was a, a major sense of frustration. And I came across a, a video that Dr. Ingham had put, uh, it was a video of her doing a talk and um, it just seemed to make so much sense when she was going through and talked about the high, the hows and the whys. And, and I, it just, something snapped inside of me. I said, this is definitely something I can relate to. And, um, and that's, we, I went ahead and took the classes and, um, and with that, um, decided to actually transform my life as well from not just a, a point of getting the knowledge and applying it to my homestead, but wanting to change careers and actually go into helping other people, uh, either individuals or farmers, uh, you know, convert or transform from conventional styles of farming or growing to the biological uh, means and methods. And uh, it's, it's been a fantastic journey so far. Uh, next slide. So this is our homestead, and when we first built our homestead, you know, we went the whole conventional route. We had a front yard and a backyard, and we put a lawn, and on the left-hand side is a picture of our lawn, and it was really all the topsoil was scraped off of the bulldozer. It was down to pretty much bedrock and a little bit of soil, uh, but, but you know, the, the maintaining that lawn was always just a source of irritation to me because it required so much fertilizer and it had so many uh, different diseases and pests and so forth. And when we went down the permaculture route, we were like, okay, let's let's change that that lawn into a food forest. And so we went through the process of, you know, adding mulching and organic material and planting the plants, and then taking the information that we learned from Elaine's courses um, and creating compost and compost tea. And you know, this is a four-year evolution in in this uh, backyard or food forest, and we went from pretty much dirt really awful, awful dirt to just a thriving ecosystem with fruit trees and berry plants and herbs and some annual vegetables and flowers. And I mean, we're, we're a little bit over 50 species of plants in just that very small area. But once we, we got the soil biology right uh, and we're able to really make plants thrive, all of our pest problems went away. It was um, just a, an amazing transformation. And it's one of those proof positive things in your mind, you know, when you, you can see the results and you know why it's working, it just really affirms, okay, I'm, I'm going down the right path. All right, next slide. So with that, um, you know, one of the things I think I, I've, I've walked away at this point um, is that I, I'm confident that I can transform my soil and my plants because I, I see it. I see it in both the, the nutrient value uh, of my plants. I see it in the production, the growth, the vigor, the reduction of pests and so forth. Uh, but I'm also confident now that I have the the tools and the knowledge uh, to be able to help other people transform their soil, you know, from dirt to soil and make their plants thrive and grow. And, you know, ultimately for me, this it is transformed my life. I mean, it really has. Um, it's opened up new avenues of thought as well as also new opportunities uh, for me to be able to provide an existence. So it, it's just been absolutely a fantastic um, a journey going through this. Okay, so that's my story. Um, so I'd like to talk about the classes. So next slide. 
Okay, so uh, Dr. Ingham has put together a really fantastic series of classes. Um, I can't tell you how much I've appreciated the learning the hows and the whys. Um, and the way that the classes are structured, it's, it's one to give you the foundational knowledge, you know, to, to help you understand why does, you know, nutrient cycling work the way it does? What is the soil food web? Um, to the practical applications of, of actually making compost and creating compost teas and then using a microscope to be able to tell, you know, as a very analytic tool, just say, am I going the right direction or am I not going the right direction? Um, and, you know, going through Shane's uh, story beforehand, you can see, you know, that practical application, once you start to get it right, it really does make a huge difference. Okay, so let's talk about the classes themselves. Next slide. So the first class um, that I recommend for everybody to take is the Life in the Soils class. This is really the, the foundation of understanding. This is going to help ground you into understanding what is the you know, soil food web. Uh, what is the difference between dirt and soil? It's something that, that uh, you, know, you need to understand. Uh, how does nutrient cycling work? You know, why is it important to have the different types of uh, bacteria or diversity bacteria and fungi and then the protozoa and the nematodes and microarthropods? You know, what is their role in this whole nutrient cycling uh, paradigm? And then what's the interaction between the plants and the soil biology? It's a very important understanding to, to gain. And getting that foundational knowledge then helps you get to the practical. So the Life in the Soil class, um, especially for this webinar, um, I know there's a special going on. Typically it's 1997, uh, but for this, uh, for the folks in the webinar, you have a limited amount of time to sign up, but it's $997, huge savings. Okay, next slide, please. Um, so then we get into the practical application aspects of the classes. So there's the, the composting class, you know, one, it's, it's good to understand what is good compost, what makes up good compost, but how do you do it? Um, you know, there's different composting methodologies. There's thermophilic composting, there's static piles, there's vermicomposting. When should you use one or the other? And if you do choose to use one of those, what is the process to actually make good compost? Uh, then there's the compost tea. So you made this fantastic compost, but now you want to refine it even more. You want to be able to you know, really boost up the biology before you, you place it out into your fields, or you want to, you know, really push the fungal, the uh, bacterial biomass ratio. So you're going to use certain food sources to be able to generate, you know, fantastic compost tea that kind of meets the, the, the needs that you're, you're trying to apply. And so there's the whole process of what does brewing actually do um, and how to do it and what kind of food resources you know, should you add? How much compost should you add? Why is it important to clean your brewer and all those other uh, good aspects about maintaining your brewing environment? And then uh, the lastly is the, the microscope class. And so this really is one, if you, if you never use a microscope in your life, um, that's okay. You, you know, Elaine goes through and, and talks about the, what is a microscope? Why do you have to have a certain type of microscope with the different parts of a microscope? But then getting into, once you start using the microscope, what is the biology that you're looking at? <laughs> is it good biology or is it bad biology? Are the conditions aerobic or the anaerobic? And so <clears throat> these classes, again, for the webinar, uh, typically as a, a total, they're $3,000. <clears throat> Sorry, let me take a real sip here real quick. I feel like I just had my Marco Rubio moment. <clears throat> okay, and so um, you have $3,000 typically for the class, uh, for all three of these classes, $1,000 a piece, but for uh, the, the seminar here, it's uh, $500 individually and or $1,500 as a bundle. 
And if you can go to the next slide, there is the bundle of classes, which is what I took. Um, you know, the life in the soils, the composting class, the compost tea class, and the microscope class. Uh, typically, they run you know five thousand dollars for all of those classes. Uh, but again, with the webinar, it's twenty four ninety seven. So uh, fantastic deal. Like I said, these are classes that are transformational, transforming not only the soil and your plants, but in my case, it transformed my life. So uh, next slide, please. And with this is a money back a guarantee. So, um, you know, if you're unsatisfied with the classes, then you can reach out to Dr. Ingham and, and uh, the Environmental Salvation Institute and talk about that. But you know what? I tell you what, when you start going through these classes and you recognize the amount of content and the knowledge that you can gain from it, it is worth every single penny that I spent for it for sure. Next slide, please. And so in order to take advantage of the specials for the, um, you know, as part of this webinar, uh, there's a discount code. It's RWAPRIL and expires May 1st. So you have a few days to, to be able to get that in. But I would, like I said, highly, highly suggest uh, for those of you that really want to learn this, this is um, a fantastic set of classes to be able to get there. And with the classes, um, you know, one is to get knowledge. You know, some of you might just stop with the classes, gain your, your foundational knowledge, learn how to apply, it, and that's great. Uh, and some of you may decide to become soil life consultants and take the knowledge even to a step further and learn how to be able to apply this not to your own environment, but also to help others.